Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. We work with organizations to make a stronger impact to clients and communities. You can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using today's hashtags, Nonprofit Utopia, Woods Fund Chicago, and TRHT Chicago. You can also leave comments on the blogtalkradio.com forward slash Um, You can go to our episode page, and the chat room is open. You can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account. You'll find a link to open the account on the episode page, and that will be right underneath the chat box. You can also email me questions at ValerieFLeonard at nonprofitutopia.com. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. We encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the nonprofit Utopia community. You can go to nonprofitutopia.com. You'll get a pop-up, and you can sign. And feel free, again, to make comments on the episode page. Racism is an artificial construct and permeates every aspect of our lives, our institutions, policies, education, and quality of life. If you live in Chicago, this construct impacts our physical surroundings, including environmental policy and the layout of the city as evidenced by physical boundaries like railroad tracks, streets, and expressways. While discussions of race are uncomfortable, any change must begin with conversations across racial and socioeconomic lines, followed up by positive action. Today's guests are marshalling financial, human, intellectual capital to convene we break down barriers and serve as the catalyst for change at the policy and community levels. Today's guests are Michelle Morales and Jose Rico. Michelle Morales is the new president of Woods Fund Chicago, a grant-making foundation with roots in promoting equal opportunity and community organizing by funding local grassroots policy and advocacy organizations. Prior to joining Woodland Chicago, she served as Chief Executive Officer of Mikva Challenge Chicago, a leading youth civic engagement nonprofit. Her prior experience includes directing citywide programs to support at-risk youth, coordinating a highly visible national campaign to successfully free 14 Puerto Rican political prisoners and working in alternative education. Michelle is also a member of the inaugural cohort of Cultivate, the leadership development program for women of color in Chicago and Leadership Greater Chicago. 
Michelle has also worked in collaboration with the Mexican, Palestinian, and African-American communities to uncover, support, and elevate shared issues and campaigns. Our second guest is Jose Rico. Jose is the first director of Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation, better known as TRHT. TRHT is a national and community-based process to unearth and jettison the deeply held and often unconscious beliefs created by racism. Prior to coming over to TRHT, Jose served as Chief Partnerships and Initiative Officers at United Way of Metro Chicago, where the organization's policy work, labor team, including Access United, as well as all government and external community partnerships. Prior to his tenure at United Way, Jose was appointed by President Barack Obama to serve as Executive Director of the White House Initiative on Education Excellence for Hispanics. He was integral in developing Promise Neighborhood Grants that support cradle-to-career programming in underinvested neighborhoods across the country. He was also a founding principal at Multicultural Arts School at the Little Village Londell High School campus, and he directed community organizing at the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. So as you can see, we have two very, very well-qualified guests. We are indeed honored and grateful that they took time out of their busy schedules to meet with us. So thanks again so much for meeting with us today, Michelle and Jose. Again, it's an honor to have you on this podcast to share your visions for philanthropy, policy, and advocacy as they relate to breaking down the artificial construct of race. So Michelle, can you give us a little bit of background on the Wood Farm Chicago? And then when you give us a little background, can you tell us how they came to get involved in this initiative? Yeah, uh, Woods Fund Chicago is um, a modified foundation. We, look, we give it up out about 2.7 or so million a year in grants and primarily focusing in the area of uh, grassroots community organizing, public policy, and the intersection of the two. So organizations that are doing both sort of an outside and inside mm-hmm. systems game. Um, we were one of the first organi- uh, foundations in the city to explicitly uh, center racial equity in our work. Um, it's one of our core principles in our grant making as well as in all of the processes internal and externally that, that we do. And we're uh, really happy that now racial equity has become <laughs> the topic uh, in the city of Chicago. Um, you know, for the longest time when you would talk about racial equity, often you were one of the few or, right. you know, talking about in rooms where people weren't listening. So (laughs) we're very excited that at all levels, at the county level, at the city level, at the state level, um, in in, uh, government and nonprofit and in philanthropy, it's becoming uh, really great. Uh, It's being centered across all three areas. You see what happens when you hire community organizers in philanthropy? (laughs) The word gets out, right? You start making change. And, And that's a wonderful thing. So... Again, um, what is Woods Fund Chicago's role in incubating the truth, racial healing, and transformation Chicago, better known as TRHT? Three years ago, um, 
the Kellogg Found Kellogg Foundation has been pretty um, revolutionary in creating TRHT and actually funding over 24 million to 14 different communities, Chicago being one of them. So three years ago, they approached Chicago. Uh, as we all know, Chicago is one of the largest cities with some uh, incredibly severe systemic inequities and historical inequities to begin this process of racial healing and transformation mm -hmm. coming from the practices that um, of reconciliation from South Africa. And so uh, Woods Fund, along with Field Foundation, Chicago Community Trust, and a couple other foundations, uh, began a process of uh, envisioning what uh, TRHT could look like in the city of Chicago, what storytelling um, truth-telling, narrative change can look like, uh, and the Woods Fund serves as sort of the administrative organization to sort of facilitate TRHT and move the work forward. And so the first uh, director of the TRHT program, and he'll be leading the initiative forward. Okay, awesome, awesome. And it was interesting, and before we get to Jose, as you were describing the work that you do, you you talk about storytelling, and I immediately thought of two friends that I have, and I hope they're listening, and if you're listening, I hope you call in. Um, I thought about Daniel Ash with the Chicago mm -hmm. Community Trust, and I also thought about <clears throat> Angelique Power with the Phil Foundation. You know, they both are very interested in the power of story, and they are both, you know, very much into um, these issues of DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that later. I can go on and on. And, and they're both part of the <laughs> advisory committee, oh, which is awesome. great. Yep. Okay, so oh, we have some really great leaders, you know, leading the landscape mm -hmm. in philanthropy and DEI. So Jose, um, can you walk us through the TRHT framework? Sure, and, and, and first, thank you, Sally, for inviting us to be, and thank you for your many years of service. Uh, in our community uh, doing this work, so I appreciate, uh, appreciate you for that. Thank you. But I think, you know, uh, one of the major components of the framework is based a lot on what we just started talking about in terms of what is the story that we want to tell around um, how racism and racist policies and practices have affected our community. And, you know, oftentimes we hear of the story of a tale of two cities Chicago, and I think that that's something that's uh, you know is very important to us in TRHT is that we need to uncover why there is such uh, why that story uh, keeps coming up and what are what are the historical foundations why the train tracks um, you know split communities up and why streets are dividers why there's neighbors that live across the street from each other very rarely. Uh, go across and are part of community. But the other important part about the, the narrative change that we need to also be con uh, conscious of and something that we're very excited to uh, uh, very soon launch um, uh, a narrative change of the, what what was the future of Chicago look like mm -hmm. if we envision a just Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. What is, what is it that, what is the common that unites us, what are the values, mm -hmm. what are the shared stories that uh, oh, really uh, are not only going to educate us about the past of our city, but engage us and be able to be uh, stories that we could use to actually liberate us from the old way of thinking of what Chicago is. 
you can go anywhere in the country and the people you hear about Chicago, besides the violence, people say this is one of the most racist cities yeah. in mm-hmm. America. So uh, I feel that one of the most important parts of GRHT is how we engage in that narrative change. The other uh, component, which to me is critical, is the healing and repair. And so we've been doing for the last two years, we've had uh, over 300 people engaged in as racial healing practitioners, mm-hmm. um, organizing racial healing circles throughout the city, and being able to lift the stories of individuals and how they became race conscious, but more importantly, uh, how they have been moved to uh, change uh, uh, racist policies and practices mm-hmm. in their organizations. And as we all know, there's no organization or one individual that says, this is a racist policy <laughs> or I'm racist. But they've been ingrained and are part of our culture for so long right. that we need these healing circles for us to start to uncover them. And the other component of that repair work, which is on the public policy and law side, is what are the resources that we need to actually implement a racial equity agenda. Mm-hmm. So many times we talk about what is a racial equity agenda, underlying that is resources, mm-hmm. and underlying that is the changes of the policies practices that we need to make so that all of us could be able to live that vision that we believe uh, could be in Chicago. It's just Chicago that we could permanently get rid of this false ideology that one race is better than another. So that's interesting. It sounds to me like you're also, I don't know if you're borrowing from RJ, restorative justice principles, or if RJ is borrowing (laughs) from you guys, but it sounds very similar. It is, and you know, and you know, fortunately, I've had the experience that my high school was the first high school that had every teacher, every administrator, and every uh, student council member trained in restorative justice. Oh, awesome. Um, so for me, that is something that is really important because it's, it's at the end of the day, what it does is that it restores, um, in my opinion, a sacred ritual of us being in a circle and being able to look at each other from our human aspect versus from, uh, uh, you know, I'm the plaintiff here, the defendant aspect. So it really humanizes the interactions that we have. And as we know in many of our communities, that has been taken away from us. And that's what it tries to do, is to bring that back into, into our behaviors and into our practices. Okay, great. So what are the implications for communities in Chicago, particularly in the ground? Well, if we're successful, um, you know, two, what I would love, two big things to happen. Mm-hmm. One is for community members to start shaping the narrative of Chicago mm, okay. and what Chicago um, can be and what we want it to be. And the second one is to uh, bring back um, the billions of dollars that have been extracted from our communities and our families mm-hmm. over the last many years. I know, mm-hmm. Bradley, you're very familiar of the recent story that over the last uh, 30 years, $4 billion of wealth from black families in the mm-hmm. South that yes. have been extracted. We want yes. to <laughs> I mean, and, and that was not an accident. <laughs> right, that right. Was intentional. I mm-hmm. think part of the repair work is how can we bring those resources back to the neighborhoods and our families. And that's interesting. How do you make that discussion? And you can jump in too, Michelle. Um, how do you make that discussion palpable to, quote, unquote, the powers that be? You know, because what you're describing is entrenched in, in our culture. It's not easy change. 
So, you know, in many of these discussions, there's the appeal to the heart, okay. and there's appeal to the mind, and then there's collective action, right? And mm-hmm. Michelle, also as a community organizer, we need to ensure that uh, oftentimes we uh, engage with people in these conversations from um, two different camps, mm-hmm. and we try to battle it out. And so what's unique about TRHT is that we're trying to bring everyone together around a circle and let's look at each other's humanity first. Mm. Uh, because we all want the same thing. Um, and there's very there's, there's not that many people that are on these circles that have been the perpetrators of or the initiators of these racist policies and practices, but they can't still participate in the repair. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think that's the distinction mm-hmm. that we're trying to say let's look at policies and practices of people who are in power and what they could actually uh, implement and change to start that repair. But we first uh, approached it from uh, let's get to know each other's story and let's talk about where I'm coming from and where you're Mm -hmm. coming from. And at the very minimum, uh, make sure that when we approach each other, our human dignity and humanity is never questioned. And I think we're lucky that so many offices, different sectors are speaking of racial equity because TRT also can make sure that people are putting their money where their mouth is, mm-hmm. right? And I think what we want to make sure as well as the foundation and as the initiative is let's not do, let's not give lip surface to racial equity. And that's mm-hmm. one of the fears, right, now mm-hmm. that it's become the thing to do, okay. uh, but to make sure that we are at all levels examining how we're practicing racial equity and where we're investing dollars. <clears throat> and to me, this sounds so refreshing because I can remember back in the 90s, there seemed to have been a push on the corporate level. You know, let's talk about diversity. Let's mm-hmm. talk about diversity. But it feels to me like that never really got institutionalized, you know, across the board, but it sounds like you guys are very intentional about it and money really helps it helps to be in a foundation that's helping to question policy Mm -hmm. excellent excellent all right so i want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the nonprofit utopia podcast and we're speaking with michelle morales president of woods fund chicago and jose rico director of truth racial healing and transformation trht We'll be taking questions from our listening audience in chat room at about the 30-minute mark. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. And before we get back into our discussion, we have noticed that our international audience is growing, and we would love for our podcast guests to reflect the views from around the world. So if you're listening from a country other than the United States, and you know of heads of NGOs that we should consider having on the show, please contact us at info at nonprofitutopia.com. So, Michelle, you've been very, very active with Chicago communities focusing on issues of civic engagement and social justice and really with folks you know, of all ages, but most recently with our youth. So how has your work in your prior roles, and that could be any role, mm-hmm. how does that inform the work that you're doing with the Woods Fund Chicago? Um, yeah, I, I've uh, for 20 years worked in the nonprofit sector, predominantly in, in uh, communities of color and working with young people. And so 
taking that experience of sort of a nonprofit lens, but also community organizing. And I was also a volunteer community organizer. Oh, wow. Very different than being a paid community mm-hmm. organizer. You work your full-time job, and then in the <laughs> evenings and weekends, you do your organizing. Um, and so those experiences really, I think, lend a unique lens that I'm bringing into the Woods Fund around mm-hmm. coalition building. Um, one of the ways that we were able to get uh, the political prisoners out of prison was through coalition building. We could not have done it alone as a Puerto Rican community. That's uh, in my intro, you spoke to the work we did with Mexican, African-American, and Palestinian communities. Those communities we very intentionally collaborated with and worked in solidarity with to be able to leverage, right, their resources, their contacts for our issue and vice versa, right? So we also supported their issues. And so that uh, is an important lens to think about uh, as a funder is building um, or elevating their issues and, and moving it forward through coalition building. And if they're not, how can we help? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's also part of the healing process of TRHG that Jose and I see is how can we build more coalitions between black and brown communities in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a healing aspect there that has to take place as well uh, between the communities for that work to happen that I think often the philanthropy field doesn't talk about. And they're mm-hmm. often like, you should work together, but they don't really acknowledge some of the underlying issues of why communities aren't working together and how mm-hmm. philanthropy has often um, played mm-hmm. a role in that. Um, so that, and then obviously young people, I feel like young people are often um, either a bucket of, well, no, they're never a bucket on their own, or if they are, they're embedded in other issues. And mm-hmm. um, the most recent example I can give is that we worked um, with an organization helping them like develop a youth component for some of their platforms. And they said, well, what are youth issues? And we were like, mm-hmm. well, your entire platform is a youth issue. Mm-hmm. Youth care about housing. They care mm-hmm. about education. They care mm-hmm. about crime. They care about transportation in the city. Those are not separate from young people. And I think often we think that young people right. have their own little separate thing going on mm-hmm. when actually they should be embedded in all the decisions mm-hmm. you're making moving forward. So I'm really interested in taking the Woods Fund in a direction. How can we fund youth organizing? How can we fund youth leadership development? And things like that. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, because I, I think you're right. We do typically silo mm-hmm. young people and you know keep them separate. You know, I see it in church. See it in, in various organizations. Right. Okay. And for you, Jose, so you have been a teacher. You were the founding principal of a school born out of social activism, and you've worked on educational policy at the national and local levels. How has your work in prior positions informed the work that you're doing with TRHT? Yeah. So, you know, one of the um, areas that you know, I've been talking about uh, a lot lately, and I don't know how popular it is, but I think <laughs> it's really important, is that oftentimes, you know, um, schools and nonprofits and governments uh, want to address the issues of equity for our communities, mm-hmm. but we are implementing and having expectations of community members that, that uh that uh, are based on racist policies and mm-hmm. practices, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in the field that I know very well in education, when we talk about rating schools based on student test scores that have oh, already yeah. been debunked as inherently racist, right. to me, like, we need to actually look at policies and practices from um, what is it that we are expecting and demanding of, uh, of communities that have been systematic marginalized 
Chicago. Not only are you the first Puerto Rican to serve as its president, your background in community activism and hands-on civic engagement are valuable assets in your position. So is there a new vision, and I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, and a little bit. <laughs> for the organization, and, and that's interesting that I hear a chuckle. <laughs> so this be well, I, I chuckle because I'm still in the process of developing. <laughs> I think um, I, I want to be very careful in not rushing the in creating a vision or in creating mm-hmm. a strategic plan, and so have uh, really taken a stance on taking six months to a year to okay. really learn about not only the field but what's fun, the, the grantees, et cetera. I think, as I mentioned earlier, sort of coming in with a nonprofit lens. Um, similarly to what Jose just said, is uh, the foundation feel. I've been on the side of begging for money. For 20 years, I've been on the side of hustling and begging for money. And so I know sort of the hoops that people are made Mm -hmm. to jump through. And I know sort of what Jose has spoken to in education applies to philanthropy using sort of um, rigid um, systems and structures that are rooted in inequity to then judge Right, community organizers and nonprofits, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to be at Woods because I think Woods is one of the foundations that has been for a long time innovating in that space mm-hmm. and trying not to replicate those systemic inequities. Um, so part of my charge is coming in with that nonprofit lens to see are we doing that, right? Are we are we holding ourselves to our own lens of racial equity? Are we making sure that we're not pushing forward any um, uh, systemic inequities and in how we do our work, how we support our grantees, how we evaluate our grantees. Uh, I also want to really pay attention to are we speaking of intersectionality? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as in the philanthropic field, we a lot of philanthropies fund ish, single issues when problems are not single issues, mm-hmm. intersectional. Um, and uh, how can we be solutions oriented in an intersectional way? which I have not figured out how in the hell we're going to do that. <laughs> right, right. But those are some of the thoughts I'm having in mm-hmm. terms of how can you fund intersectional work, how can you elevate intersectional work, and not always stay mm-hmm. in the silos of a single issue funding. Okay, so when we talk about intersectionality, are you going to naturally lean toward maybe place, more place Space. Probably. We've been doing an analysis of our grantees at the Woods Fund, and we fund overwhelmingly organizations that serve the entire city, which mm-hmm. is great. But then when we look at place-based and community-based organizations, 
organizations, those are smaller in our portfolio. So part of what we're going to start looking at is how, what are the organizations and community groups, and also what are the non-traditional community groups? May not have a 501c3, may not have a board, may be all volunteer-led that we can support uh, in grant making to start doing some more place-based. Okay. So those, again, are all... Yes, yes, yes. Well, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> it, it's got it's to gotta start with a thought. And um, I, I know a precedent has been set, you know, with the Sage Family Foundation in terms of place-based uh, found uh, funding as well as funding groups that don't necessarily have their 501c3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that brings on another layer of, I guess, intentionality and right. capacity building, but I think the investment, you know, my unbiased opinion, right, being from North London, right, <laughs> in, in my unbiased opinion, I, I think it's well worth it because every organization has to start from somewhere, and if you're not going to address, you know, the the people on the ground who are actually doing the work but may not necessarily have all of the may never reach where you're wanting to go, but, but that's another conversation. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk again a year from now and see what you you guys have come up with. I'm, I'm really excited about this. So, um, yeah, so you don't have, you don't think that's going to immediately impact the work. You're doing a study, you know, trying yeah. to... I think what we're going to immediately look at in the, uh, our fiscal year starts in January is the application. We've received a lot of input from our grantees that our application is cumbersome, our evaluation pro- process is cumbersome, and a little, um, um, to be blunt, sort of creates barriers for organizations that may not have the capacity to fill out such an application. Mm-hmm. So we are going to begin the process of looking at that to simplify that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even looking at other foundations, some foundations do, you can submit a video application, things like mm-hmm. that. So we're going to try to shake it up a little bit with our application as the first space to alleviate some of the barriers that we might be um, imposing on folks. And that's interesting. Um, so you really got to, you're walking a tightrope. You know, when I look at the TRHT model, it seems to be evidence-based, at least, you know, from what I'm reading and watching. But at the same time, you don't want a cumbersome system. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I don't know. I'm one of those detail-oriented people, and I kind of think the TRHT sexy <laughs> framework is sexy as it is. <laughs> I'll get run out of town, right? Um, but, Jose, I want you to tell us a little bit about the, the framework and how it has come about. Yeah, no, I, and I agree. I think, I think, uh, I think, I think the framework, I would call it trans, uh, transformation. Uh, okay. Because I think, you know, what, what it does is that it actually has all the components that, uh, that you could have to change hearts and minds.
to have and uh, and looking for partner organizations to host racial healing circles in their communities, in their living rooms, in their churches, in their corporate C-suites, in their uh, boardrooms, in their government hearing offices. We want to be able to uh, uh, have people raise their hand and volunteer to host racial healing circles. And we want to be able to have people make commitments, these institutions, a commitment to change policies and practices in their organizations so there could be more equitable outcomes in neighborhoods and in communities. So for us, this is an incredible framework that allows people to learn, to be engaged, to heal, and to get into some real policy changes that are going to impact not just Okay, that's great. So, so that's one way of engaging community. Are there other ways you're thinking of engaging community? And if so, to what end? Yeah. So again, so one is, um, you know, we're going to be we're going to launch a public campaign, which mm-hmm. is a way for people if they want to participate in a racial circle, mm-hmm. if they want to be racially practitioners, we're going to do that. If they want to uh, be, if their organization wants to be part of a racial equity assessment, they can do that. If they want to uh, uh, be part of a racial equity agenda that uh, we're going to make public uh, after the National Day of Racial Healing and they want to advocate with other partners with us, they can do that. Uh, So there's a lot of ways, if they want to share their stories of how their vision of what they believe a just and equitable Chicago could be like, they could do that. So there's a lot of ways in which we want individuals to be involved. If foundations want to uh, provide more resources, if corporations want to be able to uh, sponsor racial healing circles within their corporations, there's a lot of ways in which um, we uh, envision people to be able to plug in. At the end of the day, uh, you know, at the heart of this is we just want people to be able to speak with each other because we all have very similar hopes and dreams about mm-hmm. what what it means to be a Chicagoan, and it has to be based on our humanity, not uh, based on uh, what side of town you live in and the preconceived notions of who you are. Okay, so I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Michelle Morales, president of Woods Fund Chicago, and Jose Rico, director of Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation, better known as TRHT. We're taking questions right now from our listening audience as well as from our chat room. So if you could give us a call at 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. If you're listening, you can also post in the chat room. You can post a question, and we will make sure that our guests um, hear the question, see the question, and can respond. So... Yeah, I, I wanted to tell you guys about a group, Civicus Alliance. They are an international group, and I, I just had a guest, Nick McKay, on the show. He's based in South Africa, and they have just come off of, I, I guess, 24 hours. I, I can't remember the, the exact name of their initiative, but they were um, 
working with organizations from around the world to have conversations between people who don't normally get together. It kind of reminds me of a worldwide on the table kind of conversation or something you might get from the traditional human relations where people who don't naturally talk, talk. So they do that every year around September. And I'm thinking by September, you guys will probably have some data that you can share with them and probably participate. And I believe it's the day of action or something. So I'll put you guys in contact with, with Nick after this is over, because I think that would be great. Um, and then before we get to you, Michelle, I just wanted to ask one more question of Jose on this. So how are you doing this? Are you going to be giving grants to help you implement this, or is this purely policy that's going to be implemented, you know, at the foundation level only? Sure. So, so the majority of our work, uh, as I mentioned, is uh, to uh, build the capacity of institutions, again, whether it's black clubs, whether it's nonprofits, whether it's a government entity, to be able to uh, uh, have healing circles. Mm-hmm. Um, and the majority of the resources are actually to train and pay the racial practitioners to be able to do this work in the community that they belong. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the money actually goes to racial oh, okay. practitioners. Right? Okay. Uh, the organizations that currently over the last few years have been identifying people to be racial healing circle keepers who have been part of opening doors for TRHG from the beginning, they received what we call anchor grants, mm-hmm. which were a way for us to, uh, to uh, uh, partner with them to help do that in our community. But now, uh, the model, now that we know it, now that we have a, a, a framework and now that we have a clear direction of where we're going, the majority of the resources are now going to be placed in the individuals to raise our, increase our capacity okay. to do the dialogue conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, frankly, to be able to uh, put together the story that's mm-hmm. uh, the narrative change that we want to change, mm-hmm. um, uh, engage other partners in this work. So our plan is to engage the city, the county, and the state in this mm-hmm. work. Excellent. Our plan is to engage corporate leaders in this work, mm-hmm. uh, to engage, and also to engage regular uh, community folks mm-hmm. in this work. And um, and that's going to, we're frankly asking corporates and foundations to give us resources. Mm-hmm. So then those resources will go to community members. So we want to be able to continue to Sources mm-hmm. from some of our partners so that we could increase the number of uh, racial healing circles that are going to drive the narrative change work and the policy work that, that we believe is necessary to, uh, to carry this work forward. Okay, awesome. So have you engaged the Chicago Commission on Human Rights? Is it Human Relations? I'm sorry. I have not. So okay. uh, over the last uh, two months, uh, what I've been doing is coming up with a work plan to do this, mm-hmm. and I have a list of about a hundred entities. Wow. So if, uh, if they're going to give us money, I'll be there. <laughs> uh, if they want to oppose circles, I'll be there. If they want to uh, recommend policy changes, I'll be there. So I'm prioritizing my time. Mm-hmm. I'm going 
Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking they might be good people to talk to because they tend to mediate between various communities that there's you know, confusion or whatever. Okay, so this is awesome, awesome stuff. Okay, so Michelle, how will the Woods Fund Chicago traditional grant making programs and TRHT work together to implement the down artificial racial constructs. <laughs> that was a mouthful. Yeah. No pressure. Yeah. Um, I think uh, really a lot of what Jose and I have spoken to and looking one at how um, traditionally right systems have been created to um, impose barriers on community groups and um, really people doing transformational work in on the ground in communities to not then access resources. So we definitely want to look at that and break that down. Mm -hmm. I think also through TRHT and the Woods Fund, a large component of the capacity building that Woods Fund does or tries to do is in the area of coalition building, understanding that uh, if groups can come together across racial and ethnic um, identities across mm -hmm. communities, right, you can leverage each other's power to really create some, some systemic change in the city. Sort of what I referred to and alluded to earlier is that before that can happen, there's healing that has to happen between mm -hmm. communities as well. And so that's a mechanism that we see TRHT for mm -hmm. as a space to hopefully promote not only racial, not only healing in general from perpetrators who have created inequities and policy inequities in our communities, but even sometimes in the fighting for scraps as communities mm -hmm. of color, mm -hmm. the hurt and damage we've done to each other mm -hmm. um, so that then we can move forward to coalition building. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is really good. So do you envision at some point that the Woods Fund and TRHT would be working with groups that actually do physical development? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the New Communities Program. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who are not in Chicago, um, LISC, uh, which is Local Initiative Support Corporation, they're a national group. They have a Chicago office that facilitates community planning and their focus is on bricks and mortar. But as I listen to you and Jose talk, I think that there's room, you know, even in this planning of our physical space to work with some of those same organizations that are impacting our physical space to begin to coalesce, coalesce mm -hmm. around equity mm -hmm. issues and racial equity issues. And I don't know if that's something you've given thought to. Does it make sense? Or oh, not? it makes all the sense in the world. Like, so, for example, the mayor just announced her 10 neighborhood uh, project of investing $750 million. Mm -hmm. If we look at one of the commercial corridors that they want to invest part of that $750 million is 47th Street, Inglewood, and Beckerty mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So, I'm actually in conversations with, uh, with mm -hmm. two of the groups there to be able to have racial healing circles. Oh, that's great. Because we want to make sure that on, on, uh, on, uh, in the places where Inglewood and Back of the Yards meet on the commercial corridors, that we have leaders in Back of the Yards and leaders in Inglewood mm -hmm. that are then going to be in circle together. Mm -hmm. Because when the decisions about mm -hmm. what's going to be built and how money gets right. spent, if we don't have a trust and a dialogue, people are going to go back into their corners and say, mm -hmm. I want this and I want that and mm -hmm. so forth. So, you know, a community uh, groups have already reached out to me soon after that announcement to want to be able to do this just in that community because they already know, I mean, credit to their leadership, is 
know this could be something that could be contentious, mm-hmm. and they want to be able to have this process in place. The same thing is uh, being done right now with the U.S. Census. Mm-hmm. There is conversations with groups that got money to be able to do U.S. Uh, uh, build to um, the census count, and in communities where you see black and brown uh, uh, communities where there might be a loss or a gain of district seats, how what role can we play in those communities to ensure that uh, we are again building the coalitions? Mm-hmm. And so first, you need to build the trust and you need right. to build the awareness around why it is so important for us to see that our our our, our faith is shared mm-hmm. and that versus us uh, retreating to our corners and uh, and being against each other. Mm-hmm. So that's the uh, biggest part cool. of the work that uh, we're definitely going to be engaged in. Yeah, that you know that brings back memories of the implementation of Ivan Pulaski TIF in North Lawndale. That TIF, exp- you know, it went beyond the boundaries of North Lawndale, even though the majority of it was in North Lawndale, but it also spilled down into Little Village, and that brought up issues. So I think it's really good that they're being proactive and looking at what could happen to prevent it. Okay, so Michelle, did you have anything to to add before we go to that next? I, I think that that, you know, I think often when policies are pushed out or implemented by any sort of government official, you know, what Jose said is sometimes community groups aren't proactive, and I was part of a community group that tried to be as proactive as possible. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the city, you know, there's questions Mm -hmm. as to how were the 10 communities picked, right, Mm -hmm. and how were the 10 corridors picked. So I think having as many community voices at the table, um, we always hope for before and during, not after, right. but often right. they're, you know, they're brought up after um, mm-hmm. to help to at least shape how things are then delivered is, I know it's something that's very near and dear to my heart and Jose's heart, considering mm-hmm. the work we've done in the past. Okay, awesome, awesome. So Michelle already touched on it a little bit, but Jose, TRHT, also has an advisory committee, and Michelle shared the names of two or three people. Um, can you give us a rundown, if not the names, but the types of stakeholders who are on the committee? So sure. So, so, so this basis committee has been relatively small, mm-hmm. um, and it's been primarily the funders and some community groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this next stage, in order for us to actually increase the work to the scale and the scope that I mentioned, I'm actually yeah. going to triple the size yeah. of the mm-hmm. community wow. members. Um, so for right now, so for example, Monica Hasley from Little Black Pearl, Heather Parrish from a peer family uh, foundation, Joanna Malone, oh, Rick Estrada from Public and Family Service. But that's it. I mean, I know <laughs> the additional ones, right, Dan, um, on yeah. right. So that's that's it. Right? Wow. So it is. So right now, I want to get people from government in. Mm-hmm. I want to get corporate uh, CEOs in. Mm-hmm. I want to get more uh, community uh, representations in. Mm-hmm. Um, we have two youth members there. We need more mm-hmm. than that. We mm-hmm. don't need just two. Right. Um, and and the truth is that you know, in order for us to grow, we need to increase the number of advisory committee members. And and you know, that was unintentional mm-hmm. because we needed to create a framework. But now, as we go towards action, we need to be intentional and strategic about bringing in more advisory members that mm-hmm. are either going to give us resources, mm-hmm. uh, uh, host circles, and or we circle keepers, mm-hmm. and then also be intentional. 
about uh, turning over racist policies and practices in your organization. They don't want to do that. There's a lot of other people. <laughs> And I, I won't tell them to go to one. I needed that laugh. I really did. <laughs> so, Michelle, you're new to the position, but you're clearly not new to this work. What are some of the lessons that you've learned, you know, as it relates to racial healing and mm-hmm and working across various boundaries? Um, In terms of racial equity and inequity, it's making sure, obviously, that the lens we apply externally, we're applying internally. I know in the nonprofit space, often we speak of racial equity, but then internally Mm -hmm. in our infrastructure, we don't reflect that. Mm -hmm. Um, Really paying attention to how many leaders of color um, organizations have. I think that's critically important to the development of um, communities and having community voices, the people who have experienced those inequities firsthand, mm-hmm. um, you know, pushing the agenda forward and, and advocating for particular policies. Um, and I think also, as I mentioned earlier, sort of what's interesting is that now people are expected to reframe their work within racial equity. I had someone actually ask me this the other mm-hmm. day. They're like, have you ever done equity work? And I said, my whole damn life, (laughs) you know, like it's not separate, right? When you do organizing, when you're working in the community, when Mm -hmm. you're working on issues of educational justice or housing justice Mm -hmm. or police, you know, reform or abolition, that's equity, that's racial equity. And what's interesting in the times we live in now is that it's now this bucket. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think for Woods and TRT, it's our duty to remind them that, no, it's not this bucket. It is embedded in everything that people on the ground are living and doing on a Mm -hmm. daily basis. Mm -hmm. Um, Our job is to support, help them build capacity, be driven by what they say, to be honest, and then um, help to leverage their stories. And so that's kind of the lens that I'll be coming in with uh, when I start at the Woods Fund next week. Okay, awesome. So when we talk about capacity building, Mm -hmm. what does that look like now and what could it look like, you know, I guess after you do more study? Yeah, uh, Woods Fund does a lot of capacity building with foundation, or I'm sorry, organization it works with around, you know, how do you write a grant? How do you develop a budget? How do you do uh, storytelling? So how can you tell the story of the work that you're doing? Mm -hmm. Um, So part of what I need to do when I start is to study sort of all of the capacity building we do do and what can we add to that? Mm -hmm. Um, Can we do capacity building around policy work? Like what Mm -hmm. does it look like to take your community organizing into the policy space or what Mm -hmm. does the policy space look like? Uh, What, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of Cultivate um, Cohort, which was uh, the first cohort or the first program initiative uh, that several foundations have funded to that really built was around leadership development of predominantly women of color and only women of color. And that was the first leadership program I went through. So how can the Woods Fund also support and build capacity and leadership development like that? Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it be women, whether it be young people, whether it be non-binary spaces, Mm -hmm. um, and really begin to, for what's hard is in the nonprofit space of your statistical organization that knows how to play the game, mm-hmm. you will get the funding, right? right and to right. play the game, you have to have the resources and the infrastructure to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't have that, you're left out 
mm-hmm. of the game, right? So you're mm-hmm. operating on the margins. You're not invited to the table. You're scrapping your, your that the whole we're scrappy mentality mm-hmm. is often because you've been kept at the margins. And so mm-hmm. I think for Woods Fund, how can we bring more of those entities into the center, whether by challenging the field mm-hmm. and developing their capacity so they too can play the game and push the narrative um, from the center. Okay. I like that approach. Love it, love it, love it. Jose, did you have anything you wanted to add in terms of what your approach might be? Approach might be in terms of what? In terms of bringing people from the margins into yeah. So, yeah, so our, our approach is to um, encourage and, um, and seek out people who want to be racial healing practitioners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we are approaching this from um, uh, many ways a cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, a long culture in, in um, Native traditions to be in circle and to be able to ritualize the way in which we see each other's humanity. There's a long practice in African uh, uh, traditions to be able to uh, be guided by the work and the knowledge of our ancestors and to know that uh, we are, uh, you know, we are together and that's when we're stronger. And so for me, I want to be able to ensure that uh, the approach that we're going to take going forward is we want to uh, not only honor uh, those traditions and cultural practices, but that's going to be the basis of our work uh, mm-hmm. in, in this area. Um, and then frankly, again, that, that goes in line and the only way we're going to uh, dismantle the mm-hmm. uh, racist policies and practices that unfortunately we swim in every mm-hmm. day and it's very right. hard for us to actually see them sometimes because mm-hmm. it's like water or air. When you're in the circle and, and, and participate in these cultural practices that are actually part of us and part of our DNA, then that's when you actually get to see uh, that the air is actually packed. <laughs> and so that's how I want to approach uh, and get our people involved. And it's so interesting. Sometimes you don't realize your air is toxic until you go somewhere. Until it you is. Burn the stage. <laughs>
is that there is anything that resonated with people who are listening and people mm-hmm. who share is for them to be involved. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, even if we had 20 million dollars, uh, uh, that would still be a small amount of resources. Right. Uh, but if we had, uh, you know, but if we had 200 racial healing practitioners, that would make a huge change. So uh, we recognize that this is something that we've only been doing this for about 20 years, and mm-hmm. it's going to take another 20, 30, 40 years to make this happen. We just want to make sure that we're able to activate uh, and mobilize more individuals to uh, mm-hmm. take this work with us. Okay. So what I'm hearing from you is you really want to scale this. This is not this is not an experiment. This is something you definitely want to embed. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. All righty. So um, we've got four minutes left. We're, <laughs> this is perfect timing. We've come to the end of our show, and I'd like to thank Michelle Morales, president of the Woods Fund Chicago, and Jose Rico, director of Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation, better known as H. I'm sorry, T R H T, guests. And before we go, we want to get parting thoughts. So, Michelle, we'll start with you. Would you care to share any parting thoughts and let our listening audience know how they might get in touch with you or the Woods Fund? Mm-hmm. Um, 